Welcome to It's a Good Life, a podcast dedicated to helping you live your best one. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Top of the morning to you, and welcome to It's a Good Life. I'm your host, Brian Buffini, and today I'm just going to do some reflecting on regrets. Really enjoyed my interview with Daniel Pink. What a brilliant writer. There are people who write books, like me, and then there are people who are writers, like him. And sometimes when someone is that articulate with the pen or the computer in these days, it just it is a fantastic way of phrasing and positioning words that really can be impactful. And listening is a very, very powerful vehicle, and many of you are podcast listeners, so you're an auditory person. But sometimes when you switch gears and you read something, it has a completely different, compelling impact upon us. And that's why when you read, watch, and listen, that's the trinity of personal growth and development. Now, there is a quote inside Daniel's book that I thought I'd read, and it says, Though we would like to live without regrets, and sometimes proudly insist that we have none, this is not really possible, if only because we are mortal. And that's a quote from James Baldwin in 1967. A great year, by the way. A lot of very, very cool things happened in 1967. So I've been reflecting upon this interview, and I'm a person who has utilized in goal writing and in goal setting and in seminar settings, having people analyze their past to help them thrive in the future, to understand their patterns, to understand the lessons learned. And I just believe it's such a powerful, powerful dynamic that our past can often predicate our future. Churchill said, for countries, those countries that ignore its past are doomed to repeat its failures. And I think the same thing is true of people. And so getting into this whole dynamic of regret, and I I just want to spend a second going through the different chapters in Daniel Pink's book. I mean, The Power of Regret. I told people to get it. I hope you do. If you're an auditory person, you get it on Audible or so on and so forth. But like I said, I like to listen, I like to read, I like to watch, and then I like to go do an experience. And that kind of puts it all together. Pink put together the dynamic of this book under three categories, regret reclaimed, regret revealed, and regret remade. And in regret reclaimed, he talked about the life-thwarting nonsense of no regrets. And there's all these T-shirts made with no regrets. Daniel talked about a military guy he knew that got a tattoo that said no regrets and then regretted it and had the tattoo removed. I mean, that's fact is stranger than fiction. So the first is, it is nonsense to say you're going to live a life of no regrets. Then he talked about why regret is human and why it makes us human. Then he talks about the at least and if onlys, which is a powerful way in which our mind kind of processes regrets. And then he said, why regret makes us better, which is obviously the part of why we had him on as a guest. We're, we're not trying to have you examine your navel and live in the past and beat yourself up. We want to move forward. And by taking the understanding and actually embracing and leaning into our regrets, we can use them to go forward. And that's where the regret reveal gets into where regret is on the surface. We covered the four core regrets, which are those phenomenal dynamics of the foundational regrets, the boldness regrets, the moral regrets and then the connection regrets. And then after all those chapters are laid out, he gets into opportunity and obligation, which is kind of here's what we need to do with this information. And then lastly, he finishes up the book like we did in the interview with Regret Remade, which is, okay, now what happens? So he talked about undoing and at leasting and how to undo some of the regrets and move forward in such a way that we can use the at least to make some progress. He talks about disclosure, compassion, and distance 
And then ultimately, we went into this subject of anticipating regret, which is kind of wild when you think about it, that we actually anticipate regret. You think about, oh, no, I'm, a, I'm anticipating a trip to Hawaii. You know, I'm anticipating uh, the birth of a child or grandchild. I'm anticipating some great thing. But we also anticipate regret. And as I looked at this, and I didn't really talk specifically with Daniel about this, but to me, the whole dynamic of regret, as we look forward, it can get us into the area of fear. And the first thing that really struck me from the interview was when Daniel talked about overvaluing planning and undervaluing doing. Now, what's interesting is in my younger days, I was not much of a planner at all, which perhaps created a lot of angst for a lot of people, certainly as an entrepreneur. And uh, I would do a lot more than I planned. But it's also interesting during those years, I would say, when the success I enjoy today was actually created and the momentum was created. And as an entrepreneur, a lot of the doing created a lot of what happened. Now today, here's a, a very mature business I lead and we have plans for first phase and second phase and third phase. And sometimes I'm like, what are we doing here? We're, we're not doing. I feel like the entrepreneurial edge of our organization, sometimes I'm always having to challenge it. And that's because as things become more mature and more successful, now you have more to lose. You become risk adverse. In our case, an organization, the organization is bigger. And so people's jobs are involved. So, oh my gosh, if we change this, does that mean I lose my job? And so what happens is up and down an organization, this is very common, you become risk averse. This is the same thing in life. And one of the reasons we become risk averse in life is we have mistakes and failures. And there's pain associated with those things. There's regrets associated with those things. And so rather than, oh, I want to experience that again. Now, again, I shouldn't be making the same mistakes in my mid-50s that I made in my 20s. I've learned a lot. And some of the experiences I have, and I even heard one person define experiences when you get a lot of what you don't want. So I've had all these experiences, and now I don't want to experience mistakes, but I can't experience no mistake. I mean, the only way to have no mistake is to do nothing. And so it was just very good for me to sit here and listen to this going, why would I or why would my organization, and again, in my own decision-making life and my family, I've spent so much time planning and planning and planning and planning. And now what I realize is as I think about it, it's out of fear of not making a mistake. And the truth of the matter is the biggest fear of all, right? The thing we have to fear the most is fear itself. And that's where the regrets are coming from. And that's where the regrets will come from. And that's why, as I thought about when Daniel said, people who are older are twice as likely to regret inaction. And so overvalue planning and undervalue doing. So, so here's where now the happy medium is. Plan and act. So it is important to have a plan, but it's also important to act. George Patton, who I'll quote later on here, used to say, I'll take an imperfect plan enacted violently then the most perfect plan never put to work at all. And so we need to plan our ways, plan our steps. This is what I'm trying to do. This is what I'm trying to accomplish. And then we need to act. And that is ultimately a way to beat procrastination, beat perfectionism, and also beat fear, because we learn by doing. So your principles you lay in ink, your plan you put in pencil. And the reason being is that you put feedback in place. I do the podcast here, and I have all these kinds of ideas of what I think I should do and what I think you would like. But at the end of the day, the feedback is you guys like what you like, and the goal is to give you more of what you want. 
and less of what I think you want. And so you put your principles in print. They're, they're in ink or in stone even. But the applications, those need to be in pencil. And so you learn by doing. So have a plan, but take action. Have a plan, but take action. Have a plan, but take action. And refine as you go. And it seems to be that will cause the least amount of regret. And if you think about it, who wants to take to their grave a whole dose of regrets? You know, I do. I think, you know, the song My Way, regrets, I have a few, but then again, too few to mention. It's interesting as I think about the song, Frank Sinatra song, he goes, and I thought you knew that I bit off more than I could chew, which means there were times he took action probably beyond his ability to be able to handle. And if I think about that song, I go, you know, that's a good way to go. And so you have to be careful and you can't constantly bite off more than you chew, you burn out. But at the end of the day, have your plan, but take action. And that was one of the things that really stuck out to me today as I reflected on that interview with Daniel Pink. Another thought that really came to me was that we're terrible at solving our own problems. You know, that is so true. Over the years, and I'm looking at David Lally in the control room here, I mean, how many business leaders have flown in to meet with me here over the years? I mean, it's got to be in the hundreds. And I can sit down and digest somebody's situation, their business, their circumstance, where they're at, in about an hour. And in a couple hours, I can usually help them refocus their plan, get them right on track. I think of one incident with a guy named Joe Ehrman, who's become a great friend of mine. And Joe is often called the most important coach in America. And he wrote a book called Inside Out Coaching. And my son, Alex, who's in coaching, was given the book by the athletic director. And he's like, Dad, did you know you're in this book? I go, what book? And he goes, look right here. And it's kind of this funny story where I flew in to meet with Joe Ehrman. And I kind of had this whirlwind type meeting with him and his wife in their home. And my kids are dying laughing because they go, at the end of three hours, this guy left. And we go, who was that guy? <laughs> you know. But he talked about this impact it had. So I'm able to do this for people. I'm able to give them clarity, which is the title that this guy, Joe Ehrman, used in the book, Clarity. And that, that's, I gave him clarity. Just so you know, it's the bloody hardest thing in the world for me to do for my own business. It's hard for me to give clarity to my own business. There's something I've done in a coaching environment, have a company that does coaching, but it's very difficult for us to solve our own problems, even if we have the answers inside ourselves. So he talked about the self-distancing. The self-distancing is what advice would you give to yourself? And he talked about 10 years from now. 10 years from now, what advice would you give to yourself? Then he had another dynamic, which is what advice would you give to a friend with the same problem, which is, I think, a very good technique. I also talked about the coaching dynamic of that and how in our coaching program, we get coaches to pull the answers out of it. I, I work with many consultants today. That's how my coaching works. And it's amazing with these consultants who ask great questions. And I do believe we have a lot of the answers inside ourselves for ourselves, but it's extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult to pull the answers out of ourselves. I just think human beings are designed a cup short, as Bob Bodine would say, and we need other people especially anybody with some talent. So we do the self-distancing. We give ourselves advice 10 years from now. We say, hey, if you had your best friend in the same situation, what advice would you give? Getting coaching. If it's a, an emotional matter or a mental matter, maybe you go get counseling. And again, if you're going to do that, and I believe in that, just make sure you're working on someone who's not there to help you wallow in the misery, but that they're focused on solutions. And if you go to a counselor, you need to ask them questions what their outcome is, how they achieve an outcome, how they view success. And if it's see you next week and, oh, we're going to uncover and uncover. But if they're not trying to help you get to the point where you do something with it, you will be just wallowing in the regrets. So the first thing I got from Daniel was 
we overvalue planning and we undervalue doing as a protection mechanism. The next is that we're terrible at solving our own problems. The third, which I thought was great, is how regrets clarify what we value. I'll be candid. I, you know, up until this interview, I would say I had a negative view of regrets because it was something I didn't do or something I wish that didn't happen. And both of those things are true. However, the fact that I have regrets, first of all, it means you're fully alive. You're a fully human being. You know, that's good to know. Okay, the circuits are working. Great. He said, like, sociopaths have no regrets. Okay, I don't want to be one of those. So when you have regrets, it's because something happened that went against your values. Maybe those foundation regrets or those boldness regrets or those moral regrets or those connection regrets. And so what it really does is it clarifies what we value. And Daniel said, he said, we got to use these regrets as signals. What are the negative emotions saying? They clarify what you value and give you direction on how to act. They clarify what you value. That's the, that's the regret. The fact that you're having a regret means it's actually right in front of your eyes. You're getting a regret revealed to you, a value revealed to you. And then ultimately, they give you direction on how to act. What is it specifically I regret? Okay, well, let me do something different than that or the opposite of that. When he said regrets give us a picture of the good life, because it's like a, a photographic negative of what you really want. And then, you know, we were talking about the good life, and he talked about a life well lived. So I think that's very, very powerful, that regrets clarify what we value. It means you're fully alive. Another quote, and again, it's a George Patton quote that came to my mind while I was interviewing Daniel, and he said, I don't like to pay for the same real estate twice. Now, what did that mean in Patton's world? Well, Patton was a general who was only in his gift structure fully alive during times of war. So it meant the real estate he paid for was not something he paid for with just value. Men passed away. Machinery got destroyed. Reputations were harmed. So when he paid for some real estate, it was with life and blood. He said, I don't like to pay for the same real estate twice. Kind of another way of saying, I don't like to make the same mistake twice. Well, how about, you know, for me, I translate that into, I don't want to have the same regret again. I don't want to have the same regret again. Another great example of this, my bride and I this year will be married 32 years. In our first year of marriage, so this is ancient history now, we went back to Georgia to visit her folks, and we had just been on a whirlwind amount of trips. And we got to Georgia, and it was literally the first time we had sat down in weeks. And it was like the middle of a day, and, and like both of us are conked out, sitting on a chair. And there was a childhood friend of Beverly they were friends of the family, and they were getting married. And it wasn't like she was real close to this person or had been in contact with this person. I'd never met these people. But we had been invited to go to the wedding. And we were exhausted and tired, and we chose not to go. And of course, that evening when her parents came back and we had had a nap and were a little more alive, we're like, shoot, they're telling us about the wedding. And we had this, man, we should have gone. We should have gone. From that point on. I mean, 32 years later, we'll mention that couple's name, and we just have a principle, when in doubt, go. When in doubt, go. And so that was an incident that took place. It wasn't an earth-shattering regret. It wasn't a life-altering regret. It was something that happened. And that was almost 32 years ago. And that dynamic, you know, I've been to don't know how many weddings. I probably can't remember half the people's names, but I know those people's names. And that regret 
has been something that we've translated into something positive over time. And you know what? As you can imagine, 99.9% of the times, when you think about not doing something and you actually go do it, you're glad you did it afterwards. You're glad you did it afterwards. And so those kinds of things, whether it be a funeral, whether it be a weathering, whether it be a christening, whether it be this and that and the other, no matter what the schedule is, there's times I've been on the road for 10 days at a time, and I'd fly in late, and Beverly goes, we got this thing to go to. And I'm literally off the plane. I'm exhausted. I'll shower, change, and go. I'll sit in the she go, I drive, I'll drive. And I might even take a nap in the car, and I get there, and I'm glad I went. Even though I didn't have the will to do it, I was tired, I had a legitimate excuse not to do it, I did it anyway. And so that comes from a regret that we had decades ago because of what you value. And so you don't pay for the same real estate twice, don't make the same mistake twice. And that's one of the ways to do that. The last thing, I touched on it already, but it's the older we get, the more likely we are to have regret about inaction. And here's the thought on this. You know, you've heard the phrase older and wiser. There's no doubt that's true because we get experiences. We have experiences. And it doesn't mean all the experiences are of equal value. But it also means, and as you get older, you become more cautious and things like that. And again, there's part of that that's wisdom. There's part of that that's wisdom. But an awful lot of that can also be settling. And we've learned to live with the regrets. We've learned to live with the missed opportunities. And I would just say, you know, in thinking about this and listening to this, you know, one of the great privileges I get in my life is the chance to do this work. It forces me to read these books. And I get a chance to interview people like Daniel Pink. And I do that for you guys, but I get blessed by doing it myself. And one of the things that's really hit me from this interview that I've just made a commitment going forward here is to really err on the side of action. I'm going to err on the side of action. I'm going to err on the side of doing And uh, when I think about the good life, you know, the good life can be lived at home, but it's also got travel. The good life can be lived at work, but it's also got relationships and family. The good life is what makes life good. And you know what? Having fewer and fewer regrets, to me, makes for an even better life. And so it's nice that when I get to do this work, I get the benefit of this work. I love when I get a chance to do these interviews, I get a chance to have my own life impacted. Even though sometimes it's not the most earth-shattering thing, it might be a very simple principle, or it might be something I've thought of before. But when it's put together by a very articulate person, if done with a person who's got a passion, who's done the homework, and the next thing you know, there's a little revelation that comes from it. Very, very powerful. So in reflecting on regrets, I think, remember, we tend to over-plan, we overvalue planning, and we undervalue doing. Why? Because it's a protection mechanism. We tend to be terrible at solving our own problems. So make sure, great, there's some techniques, like the self-distancing, asking yourself the questions, but make sure you're talking to somebody else. Why? Because someone else can give us the advice we need to give us the perspective. And then regrets clarify what we value. What do we value? And I think when we live our life according to our values, that's when we live a life of success. Benjamin Franklin, one of the most influential Americans who ever lived. I mean, if you look up his resume, of what America's first millionaire, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, uh, a statesman, uh, an inventor. He was the first head of the post office. I mean, there's so many things this guy did in his life. And years ago, there was a company called the Franklin Planner Company. And basically, they built an entire business built by Hiram Smith, a friend of mine, and built it into a $500 million company where basically they sold planners and daytimers and later software 
where they followed the Ben Franklin principle, where he laid out his values in life. And I think he had 12 or 13 values. And then every day he journaled, how did he do in living out those values? How did he put it into his calendar? How did he put it into his schedule? And he did that one day at a time. And by the end of his life, he's considered one of the most influential people who ever lived as an American because he was living by his values. And guess what? The gift of regret can help clarify our values. And if we live by our values day by day, one day at a time, just like Ben Franklin did, we can end up living an extraordinary life without ever thinking we're extraordinary at all. And so that's what I got from my interview with Daniel Pink. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you've gotten the book. I hope you're pondering on it. And I hope this little follow-on reflection episode has been beneficial to you too. I've heard a lot of feedback from many of you that you like when I share what I got from the interview, and I'll do that on occasion like today. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you continue living the good life, and I hope to see you on the next episode of our podcast. Until then, God bless. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.